It's the One News Poll Week, a US love fest, and Kiwi keen to kick out the Russian ambassador. One News Inside Parliament. Kia ora tato and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering for One News this week. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And I'm Benedict Collins. And boy, oh boy, it's been quite the week with the One News Cantar public poll uh, dominating uh, for us this week. Uh, but first of all, we'll start with our pits and our peaks, our highs and our lows of the week. Who'd like to take it away first? Well, shall I start off with my peak of the week, which was actually running into National MP Andrew Bailey at the airport coming back from presenting the poll in Auckland and being able to inform him of the spectacular news that 0.3% of the New Zealand population would like to see him as the Prime Minister. Um, And I think for an opposition MP, that's a pretty significant number. And I'd like to add, not the first time he's registered on our preferred Prime Minister poll. So I was delighted at the um, karma that brought us together at the airport to be able to deliver that news in person. I mean, I really think this could be Andrew Bailey's career highlight so far. I, I really it, think so. And I wonder if, um, you know, who was po- who was polled in that anyway? Point three. Is his mother being polled? <laughs> <laughs> but also, it's not the first time. So go, Andrew Bailey, you good thing. All right. Over Just a few more, minutes. and he'll be popping up on the um, yep. up on the up on yep. the big once screen. You, once right. you get over the one percent, we um, we we let people know about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, fascinating um, uh, news from across the ditch this week. Australia has appointed a junior minister. Um, to look at possibly moving towards becoming a republic. Uh, and he's, gi- he's given comments this week saying that um, with the Queen in her uh, twilight uh, days of her reign, uh, perhaps it's time for Australia to start looking towards pointing an Australian as their um, leader, as yeah. their head of state. So uh, interesting, interesting move because they had a um, referendum there, a, a few a controversial one a few decades ago that, that lost, I think, 55% of Australians voted against becoming a republic public back then but there were there was a lot of debate then about the way that their president would have been appointed um yeah so it'll be interesting to see how they move ahead there it seems a little bit off doing it when the queen is still alive but that's just my view like i, I seemed, don't think they'd move before um, no but she you know moved what I mean? on like i think it you know it's like there's something a little bit you know hey we're planning for when you die that just seems a bit off but you know each their own and I do think that Australia has a different mindset to us and is slightly further down the track mm. than us with, mm. with that because thinking. we've done polls on this question haven't we and mm-hmm. the majority um, usually tend to to vote in favour of staying with the monarchy mm. um, Jacinda Ardern of course has made no secret of um, her preference um, to, to pull away. Um, we yeah, do but she, it is interesting, right, because she doesn't really engage with that issue. She says, oh, yeah, it will happen. I think it will happen in, in my lifetime, but she won't do... Yeah. You know, she's not prepared to put any political capital into, you know, moving the debate forward or, or forcing the issue or even having a referendum. It's something she really kind of steps back from. Yeah, maybe that's out of respect too, given that the Queen mm-hmm. is in her twilight years. Although, if anyone is going to make it to 100 and get a get a letter from the Queen herself, I think, I think <laughs> it'll be her. Um, my peak this week is the absolute love fest that we saw yesterday between President Biden and Jacinda Ardern at the White House. A 60-minute meeting was actually, in fact, extended 
extended to 90 minutes. And I mean, the pictures speak for themselves. It was such a warm reception and, um, you know, sort of discussion and back and forth between the two and you know um, Jacinda Ardern got some big kudos there I thought um, with the president kind of reaching out to her on advice about how to deal with extremism and and violence and obviously in the wake of the shootings that's happened over there in America Um, so yeah pretty big political moment it was quite quite the hit quite the hit what did you guys make of it yeah, I think it was just a, a very significant moment that they were able to get it because there's no doubt that it was um, under question without having it confirmed before mm. she went. Um, the fact that they were able to confirm it and make it happen um, is a pretty big win. And the Prime Minister always does well when she's given those opportunities. She does well on the world stage. Um, so a, a successful trip. Now, not really being able to get much movement on the CPTPP, um, will be a will be something she'll be disappointed in, but was probably something that was a little bit unlikely. But not progressing that, mm. you know, it is a big deal. But yeah, I think a, a, a very significant moment for New Zealand for sure. It'll be yeah, and, and kind of fascinating trip in a way too. That was really kind of um, taken over in a way with the with the you know yet another school shooting dominating you know in, in the United States, and then multiple members of the. Um, uh, the Prime Minister's delegation coming down with COVID, including taking out um, the head of MFAT and also um, her chief press sec as well on the on the tour. So I think they're um, holed up in San Francisco for a while. while so they, um, I'm sure Andrew will be listening to this. I'll yes. send him the link. He'll have a bit more time on his hands. So get better soon. Isn't that a bummer, though, for Andrew Campbell, who's the chief press sec, to miss out totally. on the White House visit with the Prime Minister that you've been sort of, you know, serving and, and rolling with all these Years and you finally get to that point where you could make it into well, the Well, I'll let him in on a little trip. secret that if you go to Little Rock, Arkansas, at the Hillary, at the Bill Clinton Museum, there's a fake White House and you can go and you can take your selfie <laughs> in there, which I have done. So he should just go on his way back and do that. Yeah. And then he can be like, look, made it after all, no, co- you know, put his mask on. So I'll fill him in on that intel just in case he needs to. I thought it was also interesting to note President Biden's comments um, on the China Pacific situation where he was like, look, we realise we can't go in there and sort of lay it on thick and lay down the law because we obviously have work to do in the Pacific. And I thought that was probably the best sort of position that he could that he could take, um, especially with, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the questions in the Pacific around whether or not um, Western uh, influences are taking a bit of a paternalistic, a patronising um, position in the Pacific. So that was probably the best sort of way he could have put it. Um, as for pits, do we have any pits this week? I think the biggest challenge for us, or for me, I, I should say this week, has been um, that balance of reporting with the TVNZ being in the news this week. And I think that's been a real challenge because We have a, as employers of TVNZ, we have a um, loyalty and um, a love for TVNZ and but our our job as journalists is to report on the news and report on what happens and rightfully we've gone out and done that this week and that's not an easy thing um, for the reporters who have been doing that, Kimbeck Wilson and Nicole Bremner um, to be doing and they've gone out and done a really good job of that and we have to 
yeah, I think we have to kind of take our hat off to them. It's a bit of a challenge in these in these times when there's a lot going on um, to be able to report on ourselves in a in an accurate and balanced way. And that's and that's what we what we do. Mm, we haven't really seen TVNZ in the spotlight, um, you know, for, for a while now on issues like that. So it's certainly been been interesting. And actually, when I opened this podcast and said that the poll was dominating headlines, probably not um, in comparison with, with that issue. I would argue that the White House might have dominated the headlines as well. And in any other time, China Pacific stuff would. So let, let's just say it's been a big news week. It, yeah. it certainly has, actually. Um, Benedict, any pits from you? Well, not so much pits. Just quickly, back on back to that poll on the New Zealand Republic. Um, we did poll on this in November, and a third of Kiwis wanted um, New Zealand to become a republic, and 47% were in favour of the monarchy. Uh, another really interesting thing that has happened overseas this week, British Columbia has announced that from January uh, next year, they are going to decriminalise all hard drugs. Um, so you can't you can't sell them or, or produce them, but basically, if, if you're a member of the public, walking about doing your own business, uh, minding your own business, um, you can have up to two and a half grams of cocaine, methamphetamine, um, ecstasy, whatever it is on you, totally, um, if the police stopped you, they couldn't even take it off you. So basically, a, a really big step, I think, in terms of the war on drugs and perhaps an end to it, especially interesting given you know, that British Columbia obviously borders with the United States, you know, who, who started off the war on drugs in the first place. Um, so, yeah, an, another another country, of course, they legalised cannabis a, a couple of years back as well, but Canada really kind of moving away from that, you know, criminalisation and punishment kind of model when it comes to drugs, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Kapai, and not so much a pit from me, but more just an interesting thing to note since our last podcast, which was last week, um, we had the government announce that we'd be sending 30 of our Defence Force personnel over to the UK to train Ukrainian soldiers in the use of a particular artillery. Um, and that's just interesting because it steps up our efforts to another level when it comes to the war in Ukraine. Um, and also one of the commentators, one of the experts that I interviewed made an interesting point, which was that this is very different to what we saw in 2015 with Iraq, um, where we sent over a non-combat training mission there, um, because in fact the situation there was that it was a a, um, a civil war against a non-state actor, whereas the war in Ukraine is, is nation to nation, and we're training up soldiers um, to fight against another government's um, defence force. So it's new territory for us. So that that was an interesting point, I thought, and so interesting to note that um, since our last podcast. But. On to the big stuff, the polls. I'll just quickly run through the numbers and then we'll get Jessica Much Mackay to start um, whipping out thoughts on it. But we had National on 39% steady, Labour 35% dropping down two points, Greens on 10% up one, Act on 7% dropping down one, and the Māori Party steady on 2%, Jess. Yeah, I mean, these numbers didn't move around a whole lot. And usually when I go into the newsroom in Auckland to start putting it together, everyone's like, how's the poll today? And you'll say, oh, you know, big shifts around or not much shifting around. And this time it was like, oh, it's not much shifting around. But actually that's really interesting. And I think a couple of reasons for that. First of all, we had a big budget, big spending, targeting that middle New Zealand with that $350. And we didn't really see um, that, a little surge in support for Labour, which I think they may have been expecting. And also the fact that the Prime Minister was in the States um, during the poll period 
um, we polled from um, just after the budget to the end of last week. And it just meant that we should have picked up some of that support for the US too. And so I think that was interesting. And the other factor is that that national kind of have stagnated a little bit. So 39, pretty big number, but each poll, basically they've crept up a little, up a little, up a little, up a little, up a little. And because we are polling so regularly, you can really see those trends. And I think the fact that they've kind of sat there or thereabouts around that that 39 gives an interesting indication of how people are feeling about things. So I just thought it was a really fascinating fascinating poll. And it's a snapshot in time, but it does seem that um, a lot of the other polls are there or thereabouts. So um, I, you know me, love a good poll and very much enjoyed presenting that on Monday. Benedict, any thoughts on, um, you know, how dangerous um, it is for Labour at the moment? Um, obviously 35 v the Nationals 39%. In the end, they did both come out with, you know, 60 seats each in terms of Labour and um, the Greens and National and ACT. But what were your thoughts on how the numbers sort of yeah, broke I think down? National, um, sorry, Labour and the Greens were on 58, hey, and then if they were in opposition, and if the party Māori also were in opposition, they'd be on 60 versus ACT and National 60. My, my sense is that both National and Labour know that, that you know, they're, they're neck and neck, 18 months out um, from the election, both of them have very similar kind of level, levels of support. Nationals really picked back up off those disastrous kind of levels of support that they had not that long ago. You know, it, it really is kind of anyone's anyone's race there. And you know, and I think you know when we were voxing the the government ministers and stuff on their way into into caucus and on bridge run the other day, they all they all had the same sort of prepared line saying, "Oh yeah, we you know we know." We are doing it tough for Labour, and that's because of the cost of living crisis. And so many Kiwis are struggling right now, and that's always going to count against the party, you know, that's in power, right? When if everyone's doing it tough, struggling to pay those bills, struggling to afford, you know, to fill up the car or to, you know, get food at the supermarket, of course that's going to come back on the government. And you know, and they would say, look, a lot, a lot of the problem is outside of their control. You know, it's the international markets, it's the war in Ukraine, etc. That you know, that's forcing this inflation on us. But yeah, national are the benefactors of all this. Mm. I think it's going to be interesting to watch um, what happens with the Māori Party and, um, you know, because so far the relationship between Te Pāti Māori and ACT in particular has been um, one of negativity where they've both been, you know, keenly throwing around um, criticisms against the other um, and saying that they wouldn't work with each other. But I think Christopher Luxon perhaps will want to start thinking about how he might be able to get the Māori Party on board um, with National um, in order to shore up you know, a potential need for that third party um, and whether we might see any kind of softening of, of positions or, or kind of language or anything like that towards, you know, because it doesn't even, you don't even need Te Pāti Māori and ACT to be best mates or to be friends, you know, they can just both be support partners and have their own agreements with National, it's just about Christopher Luxon now reaching out to Te Pāti Māori. But what, I was wondering this week too, does he reach out to David Seymour and say, hey, look, call it, you know, because they antagonise one another, right? And, uh, you know, is there a role here for Christopher Luxon to start thinking, the last thing we want to do is spend another 
three years in opposition because David Seymour and Tapati Māori keep having cracks at each other, right? Does he need to reach out to David Seymour and say, you know, come on, mate? I don't think it's just having a go at each other, though. I think it's fundamental different ways of viewing the world. Yeah. And I think it would be very, very unlikely that the two of them could sit together in a formal coalition just because on a simple issue like co-governance, they just are at polar opposites. I What was really interesting, I was interviewing Christopher Luxon on Monday and I repetitively asked him, hey, what are you doing to reach out to Party Māori and build that relationship? And he didn't want to talk about it. And I was thinking about it afterwards and I think he doesn't want to try and conjure up that A... Um, they are going to need the Māori Party to join and be a three-headed monster. And that's because I think, you know, New Zealanders don't like that. We can deal with two parties and maybe a third is an extra, but that whole um, tail wagging the dog thing, I don't think that sits that well with New Zealanders, and I think he's aware of that. And I also am not sure if a vote for the National Party um, people necessarily see as a vote for the National with Te Party Māori as well. And so he was... He wouldn't say, "Oh, look, I, yep, I'm I'm talking to him. We, you know, we have a coffee every now and then, or we do whatever." And I just thought that was interesting that he's choosing not to engage in that in a political sense. And even when we were talking about when I talked about the Greens with him, I was like, "Would you work with the Green Party?" I'm not getting into that. That's hypothetical. Yes, of course it's hypothetical. This is what you know. This is what we do. Would you work with the Greens? I'm not getting into that. We're still, you know, a long way out from the election. And I think what he's going to try and do is try and say to national supporters, "Let's try and do this ourselves. Like, let's try and get there without needing all of this um, other support." So I just thought it was just an interesting observation. I mm. thought, yeah, because those are the two options, isn't it? Is that these parties need to grow their own support or they need to, to find a way to, to work with that third party. I mean, it'll be interesting, like, what does that mean for Labour, right? So they're even more so reliant on a third party under these sort of numbers just to break even with National and ACT. And, you know, the Māori candidates and the Māori MPs in Labour have a real issue with Te Pāti Māori because their direct competition, they often feel under attack by the Māori Party as kind of not going hard enough and and saying that the Māori Party don't understand what it means to kind of work um, in a in a team in a government and, and that sort of thing. So how does that how how does that relationship um, kind of find a way perhaps to to kind of work? you know, with each other um, because that, I mean, that'll be interesting. And, and I feel like that's a situation where the leader will say, okay, sort it out, kids. You can, you know, find some common ground because I do think that Labour, the Greens and Te Pāti Māori could slot in on some of those key issues reasonably well together and mm. you just have to tell some of those um, long-held fractions, what is, what, not fractions, what am I Fractious. Fractures, huh? maybe long-term, long-standing feuds between mm. some of the MPs may just have to be settled over a nice whiskey. Do, do you know what I think would be fun is if um, at the next caucus run, let's ask Willie Jackson if he'd be happy to hand over the Māori Affairs de- uh, Development Portfolio to um, Rawiri Waititi. I think you should do that. <laughs> yeah, also interesting eh, to see the Greens you know, kind of benefiting somewhat from um, yeah. Labour's decline, picking up a bit more support. It, it'll, 
it is really interesting. Halfway through this term, they're not getting cannibalised by by Labour. Their, their support's holding and even even increasing a little bit. I guess on you see the opposite, right? With with the ACT Party, as National gets stronger, their, their support's dropping away. But here, the Greens picking up a little bit. They're pretty happy with how they're tracking, right? Um, but it's still nine seats for ACT. And when you look mm. at it, I mean, it's only because we've been comparing them to those ridiculously hof- lofty heights. Mm. Nine MPs, very, very solid for the ACT Party. You know yeah. what I mean? I just think that we can't forget that. Should we have a chat about those supplementary questions, though? Because those are really interesting. Do you want to start with your beneficiary yes. one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we, we went out. So at the budget, remember, um, the government came in with the cost of living uh, payment, $350 given to um, everyone 18 plus who is working, who's earning um, under $70,000, just to help them, you know, the government acknowledging, you know, like we were talking before, the cost of food, the the inflation, the cost of fuel, just to give people a bit of help, 27 bucks a week, it works out out for three months. But they excluded um, beneficiaries, you know, those on the job seeker benefit looking for work, and also, um, you know, pensioners as well there, right? Anyone getting super does not get that payment Either the government's logic was, hey, they they were already entitled to the um, winter energy payment, um, so so they they didn't need this. So we asked the public whether they thought that was fair, and whether beneficiaries, pensioners should also have got the um, cost of living payment. Nearly two thirds of New Zealanders um, felt that this payment should have gone to beneficiaries and to pensioners as well. I think about um, a, a quarter were opposed, and the rest didn't know. So yeah, pretty big support there. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of criticism of the government from excluding people on the lowest incomes from this one-off payment because that they are also getting hit by these, you know, cost of living, uh, by the cost of living crisis. Um, yeah, so kind of interesting, interesting results there. I asked um, Grant Robertson the day after the budget when we had that ANZ lunch and said, "Did you? What were the options that were laid out to you from officials? Um, did you?" Um, was there a higher threshold that you could go? Did you look at going to 75? And he said, no, 70 was the highest threshold, but we did look at lower than that. And if they had looked at lower, that you then would have opened up the opportunity to be able to um, give it to beneficiaries and or to pensioners as well. And I just think that was interesting that they went to the highest recommendation by officials to try and include as much of that middle New Zealand as you could without arguably making it inflationary. And we'll do an OAA, I think, because what will be interesting to see is if ever that was taken into account and shrunk down as the policy or if it was never going to be included um, in that. So I'll be interested to see the the documentation on that. For for that story that we ran earlier this week, I spoke to... um, Age concern and the Salvation Army about the um, about the figures, and they, and they were both disappointed that the government hadn't e- extended this payment um, because so many beneficiaries and superannuitants are doing it tough. But they both both organisations really quite liked the poll because they said it shows that you know, t- two thirds of New Zealanders are concerned about the, you know about their fellow citizens, about those people who are really really doing it tough now. So they they thought it was a really positive. Uh, poll and they, they hoped it kind of sent a message to the government, hey guys, you need to do better here. Mm. 
Well, look at you, New Zealand, you have a heart. Um, one of the other supplementary questions um, that we asked was around um, climate change and um, whether um, we need to reduce our dairy cow herd, um, which is a big contributor to uh, methane emissions. So we asked, you know, should we should we reduce the number of, of cows um, in the country? Controversial. Uh, 34% said yes. 54% said no, and the rest didn't know. So interesting there to see that, you know, just over half um, of, of all people surveyed and half of the public sort of think, let's keep the same number of cows, whereas Greenpeace are calling for us to cut our cow herd by half, given just how detrimental um, the impacts are to the environment. So at the moment, we've got around 6.1 million cows they want to cut Cut, cut it by half. They're not saying take them out the back of the farm and you know put the put the old gun to use, but they're saying that just just pull back on breeding cows. Um, so that yeah, that was quite interesting. And and the land of milk and honey, that is a little bit of a controversial statement. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that tonight because mm. it sounds like a provocative question, but when agriculture is the biggest contributor to our emissions, it is something that needs to be considered if we're looking at, you know, all of these other things. So yeah, I'd be interested to see how it plays out. It's also kind of interesting too, right, because the size of our dairy herd has absolutely exploded in the last couple of decades. As, you know, milk prices went up and we got better access into China, you know, so many farmers have converted, um, you know, from from sheep and beef or other other types of farming and, and gone into dairy farming. Um, you know, so there's just a huge increase in the size of our herd. So, yeah, I, I think it's a kind of fascinating question. And also, you know, while the government wouldn't extend the cost of living payment to beneficiaries and superannuitants, Budget Week, they gave a billion dollars to the agricultural sector, you know, to to work towards trying to reduce their emissions and improve their, you know, the impact they're, they're having on the environment. And kind of fascinating giving, you're giving all this money to farmers, to the agricultural sector, you know, in a year of record milk prices, right? Like, they've, they've never been paid so much as they have this season. I think we're getting an insight into your former job as a rural reporter in this. I hope that you guys are feeling that through yeah. the podcast as well. Now, we um, also had another supplementary question um, on the Russian ambassador, Benedict. Yeah, so in recent weeks we've had um, the National Party you know, really saying that they felt that New Zealand should kick the Russian ambassador out over the war in Ukraine, that we should be taking a stronger um, a stronger stance on that. Uh, so we, we polled on that as well, and just under half, 47% of Kiwis would support kicking the Russian ambassador out of New Zealand. Um, about a quarter were opposed and a quarter didn't know. Now, the government says they will not. They, they want to keep diplomatic lines open um, and they want to keep our ambassador up in Russia um, so that they can keep communicating with the Kremlin, although, you know, the, the atrocities the Russians commit in the Ukraine, uh, you know, just continue to go on day by day. Um, yeah, kind of fascinating too to look at the Russian embassy here um, all day long on their Twitter account. They just tweet out anti-Ukrainian uh, propaganda. And we had a quick look at our um, New Zealand embassy's uh, Twitter account up in Russia, and you wouldn't know that there was a war even going on. I don't think they've mentioned it even on their Twitter page. So some um, quite different uh, approaches to diplomacy there by the uh, Russian embassies and the New Zealand embassies mm. in the respective countries. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, um, I think that's us. I think we'll wrap it up here.
Um, this was One News Inside Parliament. It was your weekly catch-up about all of the stories we've been covering. You can find us in all your favourite podcasting apps. We're also on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Um, and again, our podcast is available most weeks on One News Online. Just a little bit extra for experts here, people who stayed through the conclusion. Jess, Winston Peters, he wasn't too impressed with the poll. No, he wasn't too impressed with the poll and asked for our methodology, um, which I helpfully sent that was published in plain view for all New Zealanders to see. So sent that through to him. Um, Traditionally, Winston Peters loves polls and is a major fan. Just not this time, unfortunately. (laughs) We'll see you next time, guys. Bye.